Part three, chapter eleven of Quo Vadis, a tale of the time of Nero. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Quo Vadis by Henrik Sinkevich, translated by Benyon and Malevsky. Part three, chapter eleven. Vinicius, on leaving the apostle, went to the prison with a heart strengthened by faith. In the depth of his soul terror and despair still clamored for utterance, but he subdued those voices. It seemed to him unlikely that the intercession of the vicar of God and the power of prayer should be inefficacious. He feared not to hope, he feared only doubt. I will believe in his loving-kindness, he said to himself, even if I see her in the jaws of the lion. At this thought, though his heart trembled within him, and cold perspiration stood on his temples, he nevertheless believed. Each throb of his heart was a prayer. He began to perceive that faith moves mountains, for he felt within himself a certain living strength which he had never before known. It seemed to him that he could accomplish with it certain things which yesterday would have been impossible. At times he almost believed that the danger had passed. When despair revived in his soul, he recalled the memory of that night and of that holy gray face raised to heaven in prayer. No! Christ will not refuse his first disciple and the shepherd of the flock. Christ will not refuse him, and I do not doubt. And he ran to the prison as a messenger bringing good news. But there an unusual thing awaited him. All the Praetorian guards who served their turn at the Mamertine prison knew him, and usually they did not cause him the slightest trouble. This time, however, the lines did not open, but the centurion approached him, saying, Your pardon, noble tribune, we have an order to-day not to admit anybody. An order? repeated Vinicius, growing pale. The soldier looked at him in pity and answered, Yes, master, an order from Caesar. There are many sick people in prison, and possibly it is feared that visitors might spread infection through the city. But thou didst say that the command was for to-day only. The guards change at noon. Vinicius silently uncovered his head. It seemed to him that the headdress which he wore was of lead. The soldier came nearer and whispered, Be of good cheer, master. The guards and Ursus are watching over her. He bowed, and quickly drew on the flagstone with his long Gallic sword the outline of a fish. Vinicius looked at him keenly. And thou art a praetorian? Till I be in there, replied the soldier, pointing at the prison. I also worship Christ. Praised be his name. I know, master, that I cannot admit thee in the prison, but if thou writest a letter I will give it to the watch. Thanks to thee, brother. Pressing the soldier's hand he left. The head-dress ceased to weigh upon him like lead. The morning sun had risen over the walls of the prison, and with its radiance hope entered into the heart of Vinicius. That Christian soldier seemed to him a new witness to the power of Christ. After taking a few steps he halted, gazing at the rosy clouds above the capital and the temple of Jupiter Stator, he exclaimed, I have not seen her this day, O Lord, but I have faith in thy mercy. Petronius had been waiting for him at home. As usual, he had been turning night into day, and so had returned but a little while before. He had succeeded nevertheless in taking his bath and anointing himself for sleep. 
i have news for thee he said i was with tullius senecio to-day caesar was likewise there i know not how it entered the mind of augusta to bring little rufius with her it may have been to soften the heart of caesar by his beauty unfortunately the child overpowered by drowsiness fell asleep during the reading as did once vespasian seeing this bronzebeard threw a cup at the boy and severely wounded him poppia fainted all heard caesar exclaim i have had enough of this brood and thou knowest that means the same as death god's punishment was hanging over the augusta said vinitius but why dost thou tell me this i tell thee because the wrath of poppia is ever pursuing thee and lygia but now occupied by her own woes she may discontinue her vengeance and be more readily influenced i shall see her this evening and speak to her thanks to thee thou hast brought me good news now bathe and rest thy lips are blue and only a shadow of thee remains but vinitius asked was it announced when the first morning games would take place in ten days but they will empty other prisons first the more time we can gain the better all is not yet lost but he did not believe in his own words he well knew that caesar's high-sounding reply to alitorus when he compared himself to brutus had closed all hope of rescue for lygia he compassionately held back what he had heard at senecio's that caesar and tigellinus had resolved to select for themselves and friends the most beautiful christian maidens and dishonor them before the torture the others were to be given on the day of the games to the praetorians and the keepers of the animals believing that vinitius would not survive lygia he purposely strengthened the hope in his heart for first he sympathized with him deeply and secondly he desired that if vinitius must die he should die beautiful and not with a face emaciated and darkened by pain and sleeplessness to-day i will speak to augusta he said somewhat like this save lygia for vinitius and i will save rufius for thee i will truly think up some plan one word spoken at the right moment to bronzebeard may save or destroy any one at the worst we shall gain time thanks to thee repeated vinitius thou wilt thank me best when thou hast eaten and rested by athena odysseus in his greatest misfortunes took thought about sleep and food thou must have spent the whole night in prison no answered vinitius i desired to visit the prison a moment ago but i was met by an order to admit nobody inform thyself dear petronius if the decree is only for to-day or till the day of the games i will learn this evening and to-morrow morning i will tell thee and for how long the order was given but now even if the sun-god plunged himself into hell for morning i must go to sleep dost thou follow my example they separated vinitius went to the library and commenced a letter to lygia when he had finished he handed it himself to the christian centurion who bore it at once into the prison he returned shortly with a greeting from lygia and a promise to secure an answer from her that day vinitius did not care to return home in the interim he sat down on a stone waiting for the letter from lygia the sun had risen high in the heavens and through the argentarius quarter as usual crowds of people streamed into the forum hucksters cried their wares conjurers offered their services to the passers-by citizens strutted to the rostrum to hear the orators or to discuss the news of the day 
as the heat increased the crowds of idlers protected themselves under the porticoes of the temples underneath them flew flocks of doves fluttering their wings their white feathers glistening in the light of the sun and the blue sky from excess of light bustle heat and weariness vinitius's eyes began to close the monotonous shouts of boys playing street games and the measured tread of the soldiers lulled him to slumber several times he aroused himself and looked at the prison finally leaning his head against a slab and breathing like a child drowsy after prolonged weeping he fell asleep dreams came he imagined that in the middle of the night he was bearing lygia in his arms through an unknown vineyard before him walked pomponia Grisina with a lamp in her hand a voice like the voice of petronius called unto him from a distance turn back but he did not notice the call and continued in the wake of pomponia at last they reached a cottage peter was standing on the threshold he showed lygia unto peter and said master we came from the arena but we cannot resuscitate her wake her thou peter answered christ himself will come to awaken her then the visions grew confused he saw nero and poppaea holding in their hands the little rufius the boy's head was bleeding petronius was washing it and tigellinus was sprinkling ashes over the tables laden with costly dishes vitellius was devouring these dishes a multitude of augustales were sitting at the feast he himself was resting near lygia but between the tables walked lions whose yellow jaws dripped blood lygia begged him to take her out but such a terrible faintness had overcome him that he was unable to move then in his vision he perceived greater disorder and finally everything fell into complete darkness out of his deep sleep he was aroused by the heat of the sun and by shouts which proceeded from near the place where he was sitting vinitius rubbed his eyes the street was swarming with people two runners in yellow tunics pushed aside the crowd with long canes shouting and making room for a magnificent litter which was carried by four powerful egyptian slaves in the litter sat a man dressed in white robes whose face could not be well seen for near his eyes he held a papyrus roll in whose perusal he was deeply engaged make way for the noble augustale shouted the runners the street was so crowded that the litter halted for a moment then the augustale put down his roll of papyrus and stretched out his hand crying drive away those rogues make haste suddenly he espied vinitius he drew back his head and raised the papyrus quickly to his eyes vinitius shaded his forehead with his hand thinking that he was still dreaming in the litter sat chilo meanwhile the runners had opened away the egyptians were about to run forward but suddenly the young tribune who in one moment guessed many things which until then had been incomprehensible approached the litter a greeting to thee o chilo he said young man answered the greek with pride and haughtiness striving to give his face an appearance of calmness which he felt not within his soul a greeting to thee but do not detain me for i am speeding to my friend the noble tigellinus vinitius grasping the edge of the litter bent towards him and looking straight in his eyes inquired didst thou betray lygia colossus of memnon cried chilo affrighted but in the eyes of vinitius there was no threat so the terror of the old greek quickly disappeared 
he remembered that he was under the protection of tigellinus and caesar himself a protection before which all must tremble that he was surrounded by stalwart slaves and that vinitius stood before him unarmed his face emaciated his form bowed by pain at this thought his insolence returned he fixed his red-lidded eyes upon vinitius and whispered and thou when i was dying of hunger didst command me to be flogged both remained silent for a moment then in a dull voice vinitius said i wronged thee chilo the greek raised his head and snapping his fingers which in rome was a sign of contempt said in a loud voice so that everybody could hear him friend if thou hast a petition to make come to my home on the equiline early in the morning when after my bath i receive guests and clients and he waved his hand at that sign the egyptians who carried the litter slaves in yellow tunics brandished their staffs and shouted make way for the litter of the noble chilo chilonides make way way end of part three chapter eleven